listening to Closer Look. In 1999, Texas became the first state to adopt a baby Moses law or safe haven law to provide a safe and legal option for parents who cannot or choose not to care for their newborn baby. Now, that law has since become a statute in every one of our 50 states. My first guest today is Sarah Kappen, the executive director of the Hope Box in Georgia. What's happening in this country, and it's horrific, ages three and under are, are most at risk. That's why we're trying to create resources for a mom in crisis not to harm or abandon her child. But the truth of the matter is there's just not enough awareness about this law and options on who to contact. I'm Monica Kelly, and my next guest on Closer Look is Heather Berner, the executive director of the National Safe Haven Alliance. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about the mission of the National Safe Haven Alliance. The National Safe Haven Alliance was initially started in 2004 from a a group of just really passionate folks from across the country that felt that there needed to be changes for these babies that were being abandoned and changes essentially for the mothers or parents that felt that they weren't able to care for these babies. So the mission of the National Safe Haven Alliance is to provide education and advocacy and support to families that find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation. Is the National Safe Haven Alliance a nonprofit? Yes, ma'am. So it is a nonprofit. It is strictly run by volunteers. All of our funding right now is from donations and from grants. So there is no federal or state funding for the program. And we also operate the 24-hour hotline, which helps parents in crisis all over the country. What is that crisis hotline number? That hotline number is 1-888-510-2229. If someone wanted to text rather than call, then they could text 313131 and text the word safe haven. Can we talk a little bit about the safe haven law and why it's been necessary? Absolutely. So about 20 years ago, so this is the 20-year anniversary for the safe haven law, but there were, as I kind of mentioned when the National Safe Haven Alliance was started, but there were some folks that were in the community, just either a firefighter or a nurse or different different community members that were starting to see this trend. And, and we never want to see a trend, right, of abandoned babies, but we were seeing more abandoned babies in our country. And so these folks pulled together and started to approach legislators to say, what can we do about this? And that is initially how the safe haven law's conception, if you will, was just an idea from people to say, let's find a way to help these mothers. And, you know, I have gotten to be, you know, be blessed by being a part of the National Safe Haven Alliance for three years and about 10 years with Arizona Safe Haven. For me personally, I am an emergency room nurse and we had a very young mother check into the hospital with abdominal pain. Her vital signs were done and she was placed back in the waiting room where she then went to the bathroom in the lobby and delivered her baby by herself and then put this little guy in a garbage can in our hospital bathroom. So about 10 to 15 minutes later, a housekeeper found this baby and we initially started a code, if you will, life-saving efforts on a bathroom floor where we eventually moved back to a room and we were not able to save this baby's life. At the same time, our oldest son had a baby very, very young. They got pregnant. They considered some other options. And then by the grace of God, chose to bring our grandson into this world. And he was two weeks old at the time that this happened. And so it really struck home for me that that could have been our grandson. Did did they have options? Did they think of other things? And what if they hadn't told us, where would he be? And so I really found this 
calling, if you will, that God placed something very tragic and something very beautiful and said, what are you going to do about it? And, and I think that that happens to most people in this, I can't say line of work because it's truly a calling of how we serve mothers, serve parents and serve in our community of how we can raise awareness about this law. And I believe that that's truly how the law started is people were finding themselves in these situations and decided, what are we going to do about it? Sarah, you have worked closely with legislators to really expand the safe haven law in Georgia. Can you tell us about that? Keep in mind, the safe haven law varies in every single state. So you mentioned Texas, it's the Moses law. Here, it's called safe place for newborns and used to be only seven days you had to leave your information and only at a hospital or Department of Health. That's an issue for a state where there's so much trafficking, domestic violence, incest issues, and there's so many rural areas. And so we found very quickly that moms that were in trafficking, for instance, they didn't have their information. They weren't even sure always what state they were in. So to be able to give that was almost impossible. And if you're in domestic violence, sometimes you don't want to give information because you're afraid you will be harmed or your child will be harmed. So we went in and amended the law in one session, which I'm told is impossible. And I just did it. I just did what God told me to do. And in one session, we were able to amend the law in Georgia and go from seven days to 30 days at fire and police stations. So now we have fire and police stations added to the hospitals and health departments, and they have up to 30 days. Can you ask if this is a safe haven? Yes. Can you ask for information? Yes. Is she required to give it? No. And that's okay. And so we train all of our firefighters, police, hospitals, all the departments of health. And we are just so excited to educate. We always tell people don't panic. Just take the infant to the hospital. Just take the infant to the hospital. And we don't have to determine the age of the infant. If the baby is over 30 days, it's okay. The doctor will determine that and there's protocols and procedures in place along the way. What happens if the baby's a little bit older, say six months? Well, it depends. If she relinquishes the baby, there'll be an open defects case if it goes through the safe haven, like a fireplace or hospital or something like that. They'll look into what's going on. Why did you leave the baby here? Now, keep in mind, she did put the baby in safe hands, so that is good. But if she'll contact the Hope Box, she can contact us, and we've had moms with infants over 30 days. And many times they choose to do an adoption. Many, many times they don't even know they can. If they're an immigrant, we've heard a lot from that community. So we've had to explain what that is. So depending on her needs and the support that she needs, we're able to direct her with the right resource and walk her through that and also help her out with any information she may need. Again, Sarah Kappen, the executive director of the Hope Box in Georgia, walk us through the process of a mom who finds herself having this newborn, what can she do at the Hope Box? So she can contact the Hope Box. We will go to her. I'll give you two stories. One story is very interesting. I got called into a hospital and I walked in there and I said to the mom, hey, what's going on? Not defects, not adoption agency. How can I help? She said, I was supposed to have my baby's twin girls in jail. She said, but I ended up getting out and I had the baby's here. But when I got here, this other woman was in the hospital. She goes, but you don't understand. She filled out the birth certificate. Her bracelet matches those babies as if those are her babies. She was so afraid to tell the hospital because she thought she would get in trouble. I said, no, sweetie. And then I looked at her and said, how long have you been in trafficking? She goes, she goes, my whole life. I've been in trafficking my whole life. And I said, okay. I said, well, let's get this taken care of right away. And you know what? We walked her through it. And our view is, um, is there a reason why you can't parent? 
Have you thought about adoption? And last case scenario, safe haven. And so we talked to her about those kind of three areas, you know, and she said at the end of it, I really want to do an adoption because I know I can't care for them. And I said, that's awesome. And it should be your choice. It should not be taken from you. That's awesome if that's what you want to do. And so she was so excited because she got to pick out the family. She knew where her babies are going and it's her choice and somebody just didn't come take them and do whatever. And that's one scenario of a rescue. Another one was is I've had a mommy in a parking lot where she was young and she had the pregnancy and she was associated with some very dangerous people and she didn't want them to sell the baby or harm the baby in any way. So she hit the pregnancy. She just hit it. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. And then she ended up looking up how to have a safe water birth alone, had a, a baby in the bathtub one day, stayed up all night, told her how much she loved her, called me, met me in the parking lot. And she said, I, I can't take this baby home tonight. I can't. It will be harmed. I can't. You don't understand. It's in danger. You can't. You can't. And I said, okay. Well, in the state of Georgia, we have a safe haven law we can enact. We can also do an adoption. And she goes, can we do an adoption quickly? And Because I don't want the baby to be raised by the state. I said, sure. So we did that and we were able to do an adoption very quickly. And that baby's doing awesome now. She's two years old. She's amazing. And secretly her and the family that she gave the baby to have stayed in contact and they adore each other. So there's different reasons. But what the Hope Box does is we come into a crisis and we take the crisis out of it and help the mom to know every single option and we will stay with her through the whole thing. I had no idea what circumstances would lead a young mom. I figured it was just teenagers who were afraid. How often do you run into that situation? Honestly, we find it's not just teenagers. The mom we just did a rescue with this weekend, she was in her early 30s. Sometimes it's teenagers, sometimes it's not. We had a 30-year-old couple that were Indian with a little girl and they they couldn't take their baby back to their country because of the medical issues that happened when she was born here. So she wouldn't get the care there that she needed to survive. And so they contacted us and the guy said, he said to me, I, baby, you take my baby, you take my baby. I said, hold on, hold on, what's going on? We met with them, beautiful couple, loved their daughter. They just couldn't take her back and they had to leave this country because they were here in work visas. They wanted their daughter to get the care she deserved and needed. So they ended up choosing a couple. I was able to talk them into an adoption so that they had some rights because what they didn't understand that if they did a safe haven, they would have no contact with her. But if they did an adoption, they could ask for contact. And so I knew that they wanted the mother, the biological mother wanted to know her daughter was safe. That was obvious. And so they did an adoption and the couple they chose could not have children for like 10 years had been praying. And the same injury their daughter had, she got the same injury as a teenager in high school. So she knew exactly what doctors to go to, what to do, how to help the little girl. And now they FaceTime monthly and stay in contact. So tell me a little bit about you and how you got involved with the Hope Box. There's a lot of people that seem to have a real passion to want to help mothers. We see on the news all the time, mothers in crisis and babies, you know, horrible things happening. And so I think God's really tugging on the hearts of the people. But honestly, my story is my why is my son was abandoned with me on my doorstep at age three. So his mother had known of me, but I didn't know her. She'd been watching me for a while and I had no idea. She showed up one day, dropped him off with a 
those two cases, a little bike and a car seat and said, he's, you know, he might be hungry. And she left and I called the state because I was like, what do I do? The state came out to visit our home and they said, Sarah, she put him in a safe place. There's nothing illegal about that. And so here I had this little boy I had been through obviously a lot. And so I contacted some local foster moms. And by the way, shout out foster moms. They're amazing. Love them. They know everything. <laughs> and they really got me the support system I needed. They came around me and we got him into play therapy. And then I started studying the law. And I became an expert in abandonment. Well, Sarah, if somebody needs to get in touch with you at the Hope Box, how can they do that? Okay, they can email me directly, Sarah with an H at thehopebox.org, or they could just look us up on our website. Sarah, do you take volunteers? Yes, you can contact us to volunteer. If you want to go to thehopebox.org, click on the volunteer link. You can also sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on what's happening with the Hope Box and what's going on. TheHopeBox.org. I'm Monica Kelly, and my next guest on Closer Look is Heather Berner, the executive director of the National Safe Haven Alliance. Somebody contacts you and they say, I have this baby. I don't think I can care for the baby. And you talk to them about the option of parenting. How often do people end up keeping their children? You know, it varies, right? So most of the time, our callers are truly in a crisis pregnancy situation. And so they either are getting ready to deliver or have delivered this baby. And at that moment, they really don't have support systems in place. So often when we are able to backtrack, and get a parent or mother, which it can be a mother or father. We've had many of those calls, but that we, we try to find out what is causing them to feel that they are unable to parent this child. And when we are able to dig a little bit deeper into those conversations, oftentimes we find that they may be homeless. They may be in need of support, such as childcare. They may not have any money to buy things for a newborn. And so we with the funding and the donations that we do receive, we often send out care packages, I would say two to five a month, you know, in, in general, that we send out these care packages to parents to help them get started, which includes gift cards and maybe a car seat or diaper bag and clothes and diapers and bottles and things that they might need just to get started. And so, you know, if I had to give a percentage, I would say probably maybe 25% of our callers will, once they connect with someone, they may decide to parent because we also then connect them to the resources in their community. So it doesn't just stop with our phone call and having someone to talk to. We really want to get them to connected to pregnancy resource centers, to churches, to whatever other resources they might have in their community that would help them. And we have other connections such as the Safe Families Program where there are options to place a child or a baby with a family temporarily while a mother maybe needs to go through some type of treatment or get into housing, get a job. There are a lot of options that we can provide a mother. And with these partnerships that we've created all across the country, we are not limited to just safe haven. Although that is kind of our niche and our expertise, we definitely want to make sure that a mother feels that she has all of the information before she makes that very big decision. Let's talk a little bit about how the safe haven law works. So the safe haven law, it exists in all the states across our country and in Puerto Rico. And what it is, is that it allows a parent the option to surrender their infant to a safe haven provider. So the, the age limit may vary 
and the providers vary. But I can tell you that hospitals are an approved location in every state in our country. So any hospital, anywhere you go is a safe haven provider. And then many of the states, almost 30 states, the fire departments, staffed fire departments are also safe haven providers. And then others may include police station, churches, adoption agencies, and these are, um, and resource, pregnancy resource centers. These other locations that we really try to make sure that they're identified by the safe haven logo or a safe haven sign. So when we talk in general, like we are talking on this, this broadcast, it's really important to remember that a hospital is a safe haven location in every state. And the reason we kind of don't really prefer other routes is because when a mother surrenders her infant, that human to human contact is very important. And we've seen in some other cases where if a mother is unable to connect with someone, she may not be offered the support. And when we offer the support, when we connect with this mother, she may choose an adoption plan. She may choose to parent if she has that support. Sometimes these mothers want to remain anonymous and they want to give their baby to someone and know their baby's safe and they want to say nothing. And that is their option at these safe haven locations. But alternatively, when we connect with them, we might be able to help them choose an even better plan for themselves. And and I would say probably 40 to 50% of the time that we are connecting with parents, they are choosing an adoption plan where they may um, ultimately have pictures or even some type of connection to that family. So with Safe Haven, that really restricts those type of um, connections. It is the intent that you're not returning for this baby. And so there is no say on what family is going to adopt your child or where the child may be placed or having communication with them in the future is, is very restricted, if not zero, you know, zero contact. So we really want the parents to understand what that law is and it is there for a reason so that we don't have these babies abandoned like we are seeing in our country. Just this year alone, we have had over 30 babies found abandoned. Half of them have survived and half of them have not survived because they are placed out in the elements or in dangerous locations. So it's really important and vital to the mission for us to raise awareness, to raise funding, to train these providers, and for us to have the support of one another and our communities that actually share the safe haven information. Now, how many babies have been saved since 1999? We've had over 4,015 babies saved since 1999. That's incredible. Do they mostly end up adopted? The outcomes are different per state. So some states, the law, it is actually embedded into the law that the child is placed with an adoption agency. The adoption agency, they take custody of the infant in the hospital, and then they will place that baby with a, an approved family. And then many of the other states, which I would say the majority of those cases, the baby is placed with a foster to adopt family, but whether they go through the foster to adopt or an adoption agency is is the difference. And that is all state-based. If you've just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. My guest today is Heather Berner, who is the executive director of the National Safe Haven Alliance, as well as the Arizona Safe Baby Haven Board President. And I'm curious, how do you get the word out to prospective moms that there are safe places to leave your newborn baby? So a lot of our nonprofits, they work in conjunction with other 
resources such as adoption agencies and churches and fire stations and or fire departments, if you will, and the resource centers. That's the biggest way that we connect community-based. And then one of our other major sources is social media. So that is quite different than when this law started. Social media wasn't you know, was it in place? And so now we have this great avenue where we can reach so many more folks. And so for the National Safe Haven Alliance, it's really one of our one of our targets is to make sure that we are putting out content that we are engaging. And I can tell you that we've actually helped a mother that contacted us through Facebook. Well, we've helped several, but that truly just wrote us through Facebook and communicated that way. The entire communication, she had not talked to anyone. She had no support, no one walking alongside of her at that end of her pregnancy. And and she was able to connect with our hotline resources. And they kind of walked alongside of her for a number of weeks. And she ended up parenting her child. And so there are really beautiful stories when we are able to connect with these moms. And I would say that social media is probably our biggest. And then, like I said, you have these nonprofits and some state agencies that work very well to put out flyers and connect with the community members in different ways. That's good news. So what happens if a father believes his baby's been dropped off or relinquished using the safe haven law? So father's rights, and we, we've definitely been very thoughtful of this because we want to make sure that we're taking all these things into consideration. And sometimes we worry that the laws are... It, it's an emergency band-aid, if you will. So what has happened is in most states, they follow a process where the father, if he believes that he has a child that is going to be born or is born at a certain time, they have what's called a father's punitive rights registry. And he can then be placed on that registry and notified if there is a baby born within this period of time that he believes that his child may be born. And then the Department of Child and Family Services truly operate within that. And that is more of a state-based program, but we definitely encourage folks if they call us or if we interact with them to get onto that registry and then they would follow that process, which I believe has DNA and, and some other other types of tests that they would have to do to follow through with that. And they also, many of the states have what they do is, is they check a missing persons so that we make sure that a child is safely placed and surrendered and is not kidnapped. And so they, they verify that with law enforcement and those types of things as well. Have you run into any sort of people that are opposed to the safe haven law? I've been very blessed because most folks, I think we want to see babies live, right? So when it really comes down to the safe haven law, a baby exists, a baby's been born, and now the law is here to prevent a baby being thrown in a dumpster or not thrown out of a window or, or things like that. So I very rarely get a lot of resistance or obstinance. And really, it's just those that maybe would be against adoption in general, which is so limited in our country, because I think we can all agree that we want to save babies' lives. And so there's not a lot of argument there. So we've been very blessed as far as that goes. We don't just send her to a fire station. We don't just send her to a hospital. We want to make sure that she gets the support and love she needs. And oftentimes that means we help coordinate with the hospital and we get the social workers there and we offer the support and counseling from outside resources where she can still remain anonymous, but she receives 
that ongoing support if she does choose that. And we oftentimes have stayed in contact with moms that have either chosen adoption, chosen safe haven, or even a parent. I still have contact for years and years and years with mothers that we still stay in contact with. That's incredible. Do you have a story that you like to share? Um, A mother called the hotline and she was still pregnant at this time. And when we met, we actually were able to meet in person. And I met with her and we talked about what her situation was and she had been hiding her pregnancy from everyone. So no one knew that she was pregnant. And when it came time for her to deliver her baby, she had called and asked me to come to the hospital. And so I went down and I brought her food and some, some gifts and we spent some time together and she had this beautiful baby boy, just beautiful and perfect. And so she spent the time with him in the hospital and to make sure she was making the right decision. And when she was discharged and with the baby, she decided that she was going to do safe haven, that it was the right course for her. And so she ended up giving her baby to a different hospital. She went to a different hospital and she gave her baby to this beautiful nurse and told that she told me this story. But And she felt that that was the right thing. We stayed in contact for a couple of years and then we lost contact for a while. And about a year after that, I received a call on our hotline and I will cry because some Right. I think if you do God's work, there are often times that we can get tired or find ourselves just kind of spinning our wheels and going, gosh, today I'm exhausted. This is such hard work. And I was having one of those moments and this telephone call came in and this woman, she said who she was and she said, do you remember me? And I said, of course I do. And how are you doing? And I wasn't really sure why she was calling. So I had a little bit of anxiety about what, what she was wanting and She said, I have a box that had these baby items in it and I could smell the baby. And this time I, I opened it and I wasn't able to smell him. And so I just wanted to hear your voice because you were the only other person that saw him and know that he's on this planet. And, um, so I just wanted you to tell me what you remembered. And so we talked, um, so we talked for a little while and I remembered his beautiful face and his hair and just, we talked about all his perfect little parts. And, um, I then asked her, do you still feel that you made the right decision? And she said, yes, I, I, it was the right thing. I'm in this beautiful place in my life. And I actually went to nursing school because I want to help other mothers like you helped me. I don't say that to brag about me. I hope you know that because that is not where my heart is. But I think it's important for folks to hear because we oftentimes do work where you don't get recognized and you don't need it. I don't ever need that. But boy, did that just kind of re-energize your heart and your passion and remind you. God just gives us these reminders of why we are called to what we to what we do. And it's truly a mission that we serve. And so it was a very big blessing to hear from her. And I still hear from her occasionally. And I just use that as a beautiful story, but I could certainly fill you all of the airtime with the precious stories we have. That is beautiful. This whole thing is beautiful. I had no idea. I had no idea that this was even a thing. And I'm just blown away by what God is doing through people like you in this alliance. Do you have a crisis hotline? So we do. We have a crisis hotline and that is the 24-hour hotline. And again, it is 1-888-510-2229. And then we also have a website. So if you go to the National Safe Haven Alliance, org. If you type in National Safe Haven Alliance, it's going to come up. So we have a beautiful website with a lot of resources there. And we just really want to encourage anyone that is 
a safe haven provider, whether you're a nurse or a hospital employee, that you are educating yourself and others about the safe haven law because that's truly how we save lives is by making sure we have those signs out front because that shows the public that you're a provider and everything that we get, we turn around and pour into either the providers or our mothers and parents. And so if ever you're called to donate or support the program in any way or volunteer, when we say volunteer, even if you just share social media posts, that's going to make a difference. So from big to small, it will make an impact and that's how we will save lives. So I encourage you to to join us in those efforts. Well, again, thank you to my guest, Heather Berner, who is the executive director of the National Safe Haven Alliance. She's also the Arizona Safe Baby Haven board president. Heather, thank you so much for all the work that you do and thanks for being on Closer Look. Oh, thank you very much, Ms. Kelly. I really appreciate you and having us and please let us know if you ever need anything else and thank you so much. Again, you can get in touch with the National Safe Haven Alliance by going to nationalsafehavenalliance.org or you can contact us here at Closer Look. I'm Monica Kelly for Closer Look.